following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. I'm very happy to be back with you this morning. Um, I had a wonderful time away at a camp meeting uh, in Maine, worshiping and fellowshipping with other believers and uh, from across New England, uh, really. Um, I was able to get some much-needed projects done um, on my on our cabin there in Mechanic Falls. Got needed a paint job for at least 25 years, so uh, we're happy to get that done and built a front porch that I've been dreaming about for at least 12 years. Um, and uh, very excited to get all those things done. Um, and uh, actually, Joel and I were talking about taking advantage of camp uh, for this church family um, and maybe going there for a, a, like a weekend retreat or something. Um, it's a wonderful place. It's not that far away. There's lots of cute little cabins to stay in. It feels like you're staying the night at Storyland because uh, all these tiny little buildings. But um, maybe we'll, uh, we'll think about that some more. And I, I would love for you all to fall in love with that place like I have. Um, it's 133 years of, of ministry, gospel ministry, not just a place to hang out and set up a tent, but um, the gospel has been preached in that spot. When people were coming in, uh, there was just a whistle stop on the train, like not even a station. They'd blow the whistle, stop the train, and people get out in the woods and make their way over to this, uh, to this beautiful spot. You don't have to ride the train there anymore, but if you stay there overnight, um, the train still runs at 1 o'clock in the morning. So that's fun. But uh, uh, I'm also grateful um, for Joel delivering God's word uh, for the family last Sunday. And I was very encouraged by his message. Uh, If you weren't here and haven't heard it, I would encourage you to go to our website and and, uh, you can watch the video there. Um, Very encouraged about the message of uh, by the message of unity in the church family for the sake of the gospel and how that really puts Jesus on display for the world to see. Um, and I can say that this attitude is foreign to the world and is sometimes difficult to find in Christ's church, uh, but by his grace we're working together um, towards that unity here in this family, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for that. Um, so we're returning to our study in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Um, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. I'm going to pick right up uh, where we left off two weeks ago. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll jump right into the text. Father God, we're so grateful for um, your great love for us, for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us together here in this place as a family this morning um, Uh, Whether we're acquainted with one another or not, we're grateful that you have drawn us here. Um, We're thankful, Lord, that your family exists across the world um, and are gathering together for worship. Um, We pray, Lord, that now in this time, um, we pray that your spirit would speak. These are your words that we're about to read. And we're so grateful that you have preserved them for us and that they are useful for uh, instruction and correction and encouragement. So, Lord, we pray that you would use this time uh, for that, 
for our encouragement and growth as believers, uh, maturing as disciples, and also, Lord, that you would reach those that do not know you as Savior and Lord, um, that they would meet you and come to put their trust in you and know the love uh, of the Savior and the love of his family. So, Lord, we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. This is an amazing account. I put this picture on this screen for you to see. This is, this is actually a rocky hill near the village of Nazareth now. Um, I forget. They call it something, the Mount of Precipitation or something. Um, it's not Precipitation. Mount of Precipice, right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I was so close. I mean, if you're falling from the, I don't know. Um, so anyway, this is not this is not the hill, but it's nearby uh, the, the town of Nazareth. Um, the Catholic Church kind of got this spot and built a chapel there and said, "This is the hill. Come to us." And there's a there's an offering box on your way in. Uh, please hit that. No. Anyway, it just kind of gives us a, a great picture of what the terrain is like. And so when when the crowd of the synagogue drags Jesus to a, a cliff, it probably looks something similar to this. Anyway, that's just for your reference. 
So one of the blessings about uh, going to camp meeting, um, one of the blessings and cursing curses of preachers going to camp meeting just to be, uh, is that we get to hear other preachers preach. Um, and and since preachers are just kind of a self-conscious breed, um, it just comes with the territory. We compare ourselves and our work to other um, uh, to the one that's in the pulpit at the time. And this was particularly challenging for me this year. Our speaker was um, Josh Tate. Uh, he's, he is a pastor at a church in the county. And, and if you're not familiar with that, it's the county is a rustic county in Maine. It's all the way to the top. Um, <laughs> it's way, way up there. Carolyn and I went there years ago, and uh, we were at a church service and we were driving home afterwards and it was during football season and we had to listen to the Patriots game on the radio and driving home and we listened to the entire Patriots game on the radio and continued driving uh, for another hour or so before we got home. So it's way up there. Anyway, um, uh, Josh was, was terrific and the, other, the, the real temptation other than comparing uh, myself with another preacher is to re-preach the messages I heard. Um, so I, I'm not going to do that because I would fail miserably. It was, it was, it was really terrific. But I will say that uh, I feel like this is kind of a commercial for next year, but um, maybe you'll go and you'll see. Uh, but So during the week, Josh took us one by one through the eight miraculous signs of Jesus in the book of John and the gospel of John. Uh, and in every case, he reminded us that each of these eight miracles, uh, these miraculous signs kind of serve for a framework um, for the gospel of Jesus. And, it, and they were all to display the glory of God. All of those signs were the purpose was to, to display the glory of God. And one of the things that hounded Jesus throughout his ministry was the desire for people to see miraculous signs. Um, as if Jesus was some kind of street performer. Um, do a trick, you know, could it do that flashy thing. We heard you can do some stuff. We want to see it, right? Um, we kind of get that full, that mentality on full display when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, to the town where he was brought up. Um, and like I said, I'm not going to re-preach um, Josh's message, nor am I going to re-preach my own message from two weeks ago. If you're paying attention, we read the same text, um, or at least the first half. We do need to reference that uh, text in order to get good context for um, where we're headed this week. So I just want to read this again. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This is where we stopped last time. There's a part two, which is a lot less fun than part one, right? Jesus went back to his home church, and as was his custom, he went to service on the Sabbath. 
Now, if you think about this, I mean, word got out about what Jesus was doing. Like, word had reached the people of Nazareth. They, they had heard about the things that, that Jesus had been doing, and they knew who Jesus was. Like, that, you know, that's our guy, right? The, the, the paper should have read, hometown boy makes good, right? Um, here they had the Messiah. Like, the one they had been waiting for, God's anointed, was in their midst. Not only did he come to visit, but he was from there. Right? They had more reason to praise God uh, for Messiah coming because he was one of them. Um, and also, just thinking culturally, um, like Nazareth was not um, the center of all things. Uh, the Nazareth, well, let's be honest, is a little bit like Ossipi. Uh Kind of backwater. You know, the, the, the saying goes, nothing ever good, nothing good ever comes from Nazareth or whatever. You know, nobody says that about Ossipi, I'm sure. Um, but here he was in their midst, sit, uh, sitting there saying, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Right? This is the year of Jubilee, uh, an Old Testament reference. This is, this is the year that the captives get set free. This is, this is the year... The blind will receive their sight. The poor will hear the good news. Messiah is here now, and, and it's me. Right? This is his sermon. The people of Nazareth, they had salvation at hand, right? The promised Messiah, the Savior, right there. They had good news. They had light. They had liberty. They had the Lord's favor all right in front of them in the person of Jesus and they had a choice to make. And this is true of every individual who hears the gospel. There is a choice to be made. The people of Nazareth are looking Jesus in the face. And what did they choose? We can see in the second half of verse 22 exactly what they chose. They could have said, Messiah is here. Our Messiah our Messiah is from Nazareth. He came from us. He's one of us. Hallelujah. Nobody is ever going to say what good could come from Nazareth ever again. Messiah put Nazareth, Nazareth on a map. Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't read that in verse 22. I don't know if you saw it there. That's not what they said. Instead... They said, isn't that Joseph's kid? Like, yeah, my cousin used to work with that guy, right? Isn't that, isn't, isn't that just Joseph's son? They could have glorified God by accepting his son Jesus. Instead, they rejected him by seeing him only as Joseph's son, not God's son. They should have glorified God all the more because God made the one with such humble beginnings from their town to be Messiah. Praise God, the carpenter's son is Messiah. God really can make something out of nothing. But instead, instead of believing him and believing in him, they said, isn't this Joseph's kid? And Jesus, knowing the hearts of all men, 
knew what they really wanted to see. And he brought the word, he opened the word to them and explained what Isaiah meant. He's talking about Messiah, the work of Messiah, the person of Messiah, and that's me, and that's what I'm here to do. Jesus knew what they really wanted to see, and what they really wanted was the spectacle. They wanted to see the signs that they had heard about from the other towns in Galilee where Jesus had been. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So what did they want? They wanted What they wanted was for Jesus to heal the sick and lame and blind in his own hometown, among his own countrymen. Right? Make some water into wine here uh, at home with your family. We'd really appreciate that. We, we've known you your whole life. We ought to be the ones that see this first, that get this treatment. We should be the first ones to see the spectacle. But all they wanted was the show. Nazarenes wanted to see miracles and wonders as if Jesus was just a street magician, magician or musician, depending on how talented. Right. They just pulled the rabbit out of the hat. We want to see that trick again. They didn't seek the power of God. They didn't seek the help they truly needed. They didn't care about light and life and liberty. They wanted miracles. They wanted to see something fantastic. The help that they needed was right in front of them, and they closed their hearts to the Lord. His own hometown rejected him. The people wanted something from Jesus. They didn't want Jesus himself. I think there's a lesson there for us. We're constantly faced with that same thought. Do we want Jesus, or do we want Jesus to do something for us? Is there something that we need only Jesus can do and we'd really appreciate it if he did it? You know, but we don't want to give anything up for that. We don't want to turn away from anything. Just kind of bless our mess, Lord. You know, I think there's, there's trouble there. Wanting something from Jesus, but not, not wanting Jesus himself. Verse 24, and he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Now, aren't you filled with wrath hearing those two stories? Doesn't that just boil your blood? It does? (laughs) You're weird, right? How, why does this, why, why does somebody... Sorry, I think the second cup of coffee was not decaf this morning. Why would the synagogue be filled with wrath at this statement? What is so upsetting about Jesus making these two references? 
All right, the two stories that Jesus referenced about uh, Elijah and Elisha, the, the story of Elijah is in 1 Kings 17. Write that down so you can look it up later. Um, and the story of Elisha uh, is 2 Kings 5. These two stories um, were about God's work among Gentiles. Both the widow of Zarephath, which is outside of Israel, and Naaman, the Syrian, who you may guess is from Syria, um, these are both Gentiles, and God showed his grace and blessed them with provision for the widow and healing from leprosy from not just a Syrian guy, but from the general of Israel's enemy's army. Um, So in both of these stories from the Old Testament, these true accounts, the nation of Israel was steeped in worship of Baal. They're not following the Lord. They did not care what God the Father wanted for them or from them. As a nation, they had turned their back on the Lord and forgotten his word. Just a, just a slight ring of familiarity there to me in our day. And foreigners were preferred above God's chosen people because God's chosen people chose to reject God. John Calvin wrote, The meaning is, therefore, that the same thing happens now as in former times, when God sends his power to a great distance among foreigners because he is rejected by the inhabitants of his own country. Same is still happening today. Now, before we start throwing rocks at other people, let's use this as an opportunity for self-examination. Instead of saying, oh yeah, it's them, let's instead ask, is that me? Let them work it out for themselves. Let's make sure we're where we need to be first. This continues as a theme throughout the New, the New Testament. The Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys would always go to synagogues first. He would always preach at the synagogues among the Jews. And when the Jews rejected his message, rejected the good news, he would go to the Gentiles, who almost always, as you look through the book of Acts, almost always accepted the good news with joy. Finally, good news for the Gentiles. Now, Now, all the way back to Luke chapter 1, this gospel is written to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus is a Greek man. Theophilus was a Gentile. Imagine how he received this account first. Can you imagine his great joy? These are the words of Jesus, right? God's grace on the Gentiles. But in the synagogue... Instead of receiving Messiah with joy, they were filled with wrath. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a cliff on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Like, I understand if if sometimes people get a sermon sideways and are a little prickly about it. Might not talk to you for a week. But then you work it out or or forget one or the other. Um, I can't, yeah, never mind. Um, 
these people were not just uncomfortable with what the preacher said. They're filled with murderous wrath. Like, I I don't even know if I've ever upset anybody with a sermon before. I do know that I've never been dragged out of town uh, and threatened to be thrown off a cliff. Today might be the day. I, I mean, the day is young, right? Murderous wrath. But since today was not his time to die, since it had been prophesied that Jesus would die on a tree, not thrown off a cliff, he passed through their midst and went away. There's a lot of debate among the scholars. How did that happen? Was that a miraculous event? They were looking for a miracle, and they're all like, and he just, you know, parted this the sea, right, parted the waters and walked through. Or, or the other scholars say it was his force of personality. It wasn't a miracle. They were just so impressed by what he said, he was able to walk right through them, which I think is total garbage. But either way, where are you in the story? We always identify or we tend to identify with someone in this In the stories. So where are you? I think we often lack perspective, just like the people in the synagogue in Nazareth. We don't often see the good thing that the Lord has blessed us with, even when it's right in front of us. Because it doesn't often align with our thoughts. It doesn't always fit what we think is best. And sometimes we just can't see it through our own pride. Why would God make me suffer? Why would God do this thing or take this thing from me? This can't be from him because I don't like it. If that's your perception of God, I challenge you to read the word of God more often than you do. Because you won't find any stories like that. Another thing that the Lord Uh, delivered through our speaker um, at camp meeting this past week that really struck me and has really stuck with me is that God doesn't ask us to do what's hard. He doesn't ask us to do what's hard. He doesn't ask us to do what's easy either. He asks us to do the impossible. He asks us to do the impossible. What is hard, we can do. Like, we can do hard, right? means you might have to give up some stuff, might have to put in some more time, you might have to shuffle your priorities. We can make difficult choices, right? We can, we can give up some things that we love or some things that we like to get the job done. But when we live like that, we don't need God to intervene. We can do hard on our own. We can make hard choices. We don't need God's help. When we live like that, when we live lives without prayer, that's exactly what we communicate to the Father. We don't need your help. This is hard. I can do it. I know not all of you here can share this sentiment, but we're New Englanders, right? Sorry. 
We can do this ourselves. I can do it. I don't need help. <laughs> One of the things I observed at camp this week as I was working, I was building a front deck on our cabin alone by myself without help. I did, somebody did come and hold up a stick for me one time. That was helpful. But right, right across the way, there is a group, a team of people pulling a roof off an old cabin, right, stripping it right down to the rafters and then resheathing and putting shingles on and fixing the porch and all that. And there's like a hive of bees over there working together as a team, helping each other, not alone, like me, by myself, alone. It's exactly my point. That was my choice. I didn't ask for help, didn't want help. I can do this. Not only can I do this myself, I'm going to show all of those jerks over there that I can do it myself. You can, you can hear the, where I'm going, right? And you can hear the, there's a hook in this worm. This is exactly what we do day in and day out. When we don't pray. We don't ask God to do the impossible for us, through us, because we can do it ourselves. We can't. We can't. We need the God of the impossible to do the impossible for us, in us, through us. Every year at camp, I'm reminded of uh, campfires where the campers... It's always Thursday night towards the end of the week. I probably said this last time. Everybody's exhausted. Their defenses are down, and you start telling these horrible sob stories of how you murdered 37 people, and then you came to Jesus, and now everything is great. But you made all the, it was only 35, but you made it pump your story a little bit. <laughs> I don't even know why I brought that up. Guilt, Yeah. Because I've done it. I've been that guy. Our testimonies are never boring. Because we were dead. And now we're alive. Through faith in Jesus. That's impossible. It's impossible. And God is the God of the impossible. Preaching the gospel to people who don't think they need it. It's impossible. Telling the truth to people who don't want to hear it. It's impossible. Just as filling the widow's jar was with just enough flour and oil to make bread for the day. Spoiler alert, that's the story of Elijah. That's impossible. Healing the commander of the army of your enemy of leprosy by making him wash in your river instead of his river in his country. That's impossible. Spoiler alert. Second Kings chapter five. Walking away from a murderous mob trying to toss you off a cliff? Impossible. Saving faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin? Impossible. But God. Right? It's impossible for us to do this ourselves. It's impossible for us to get... For ourselves, it's impossible for us to set at liberty those who are captives to sin and death. It's impossible. Giving sight to the blind is impossible. 
but God, who is rich in mercy, has made it possible through Jesus Christ. And that's our secret. But it ought not be our secret. We need to tell everybody. God is the God of the impossible. And this is why we pray. Because we need the Father to work. I'm convicted every time we read the prayer list. Every Tuesday when I send out the email with all of these things. That, whoa, we've been praying for. I and mean, this has been on the list for a while. Should we take this off? I don't know. Keep praying. Keep praying. Because we need God to work. We can't do it ourselves. And we shouldn't forget it. We need God to work. We need to pray to the one who makes all things possible, even salvation through faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your love. And we're so thankful for Jesus. That you made a way, you made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. You made it possible for us to be adopted by you into your family. You made it possible for us to gain entrance into your eternal kingdom. All through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for your uh, perspective. That you would give us a perspective to see Jesus in front of us. Even when it appears he's doing things and is ways that we don't appreciate. When he does things we don't understand. When he asks us to do things we don't want to do. Lord, help us to see the Messiah in front of us. Lord, we need your help. Hallelujah, all we have is Christ. We love you, Lord. May you be glorified in your church, both now and forevermore, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.